0: Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow.
1: To count the discounts, say driver, paperless, Automatic payments, multi-car, so many a penny. Saved is a penny earned, you learn. The money you saved, it builds like a wave of dollar bills. The thrills, scary movies give me chills.
0: Discounts that help you save more for the things you want. From Progressive, visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.
2: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the return of the Division Capsule podcast, and what I mean by that is it is we take a single division and do both an off-season review and a season preview in the same episode, so it's split, you know, 50-50-ish. And the first one is on the Atlantic Division. I actually brought back the same two guests from last year, which are Tim Bontemps of The Washington Post and Jared Weiss of CLNS Radio and Celtics Blog. And so we go through what happened in the offseason, who got better, who got worse, favorite picks, prospects, all that kind of thing. And then we do a season preview, ranking the team, say who's going to make the playoffs. And in this one, we go on some really fun tangents, including talking about the Clippers and a lot of other things, just because the three of us really enjoy talking about basketball. So the entire thing runs about an hour, hour 25. It is also sponsored by Blue Apron. You can go to blueapron.com/realgm and get three free meals. It's a product that I absolutely love. So, as I said, it's about an hour twenty-five. There will be timestamps, but there's a lot more to it, so those aren't the most useful with this. And hope you enjoy it.
1: Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure to be in the virtual world with you. Yeah, likewise. Happy to happy to do this again.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's fun. This is the first of the division podcast, so we'll start it out with an off-season review, and pretty basic one, and I think it's actually fairly straightforward in this division. Who do you think got better, and who do you think got worse? I think, to
3: be honest, I, I don't know if anybody got worse. I think that the Nets are probably about the same, and I think you could probably say that for the Raptors, too. And then I think, you know, I, I, I'm probably as down on the Knicks as anybody, and they, they added more talent. I don't know if they're gonna have a better record, but they, they at least added a bunch of talent and, and the the Sixers and the Celtics both unquestionably got better between you know the, the Sixers finally getting a bunch of their draft picks to come over and play and, and obviously getting Ben Simmons in the draft and then you know, the Celtics finally kind of snapping their uh, their free agency curse and getting uh, Al Horford to commit to them on July second.
1: You haven't heard me talk about the Knicks yet, so don't worry. We're in the same boat. I mean, they, it, that is a, definitely probably the probably the most bizarre offseason this year. Who knows what they were thinking with the Joakim Noah signing for four years. But the only team that I think I – mean, I think the Knicks hurt themselves as far as their long-term potential. If there's anybody that kind of hampered their overall franchise standpoint, it would probably be New York of anybody in the division. And Biombo is a tough loss for the Raptors. They didn't really – make up for it necessarily. But considering that Carroll will hopefully be help, healthy and kind of fill the role that they wanted him to fill coming in the last season, I don't really see them getting worse.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I'll note that I think the Magic had a harder to decipher offseason, but it's it's close. With the, Knicks, with the Knicks, it makes sense. It just was not something I agree with. And, in terms and, at, of, and at least
1: the Magic have good young players.
2: Yeah. And, and so I think that the lens of being better or worse is something that helps the Knicks, because the Knicks definitely got better. They were just a—they didn't have enough NBA talent last year, and that was something that was actually a more prevalent thing two years ago. It just takes a long time to get back when you basically have one or two NBA players to get back to eight or nine, which is what you need to be even capable in the NBA. And so the Knicks got closer in that way. They made a series of mistakes in terms of their long-term future, but in terms of getting better in the present, I think they did. Toronto is hard because Biombo is a justifiable loss. It's kind of the, the converse of the Knicks. Like it's a loss that doesn't hurt them in the sense that doesn't hurt their grade per se because he was never going to come back because of the structure of everything. But I do think his absence makes them worse, because he was a versatile defender. He was underutilized to a point earlier in the year, but he added a dimension to them that they don't really have now. And while Sullinger helps, I don't think he helps as much.
3: If Jonas Valanciunas hadn't sprained his ankle in the second round of the playoffs, I, I think we talk about a lot of this stuff very differently. You know, Biombo is a nice player, but he got the benefit of being able to have a contract month in the playoffs for the Raptors and, you know, went from a guy who I would have probably would have got four for 40 maybe to getting four for 72. So I agree it's a loss, but, you know, Jones Valchunas is one of the cornerstone guys for the Raptors going forward. So even if Biombo was on the team next year, he's probably playing 15 to 18 minutes a game. So, you know, I, I just think, you know, it's kind of to, to Jared's point earlier, you know, if, if you get, you know, improvement from guys like Norman Powell and get Damari Carroll healthy and, you know, you get Sullinger, I, I feel like that's going to maybe not in the same way, but it's going to at least make up for, you know, basically just losing Biombo off last year's
1: team. And Val Junis is at the point where it's time for him to. Be the guy, right? I mean, it's kind of been growing and growing towards that, but he's at the point where he's it's it's kind of the make or break year for him. Where is he going to be an actual dominant force? And having Biombo there, which just kind of was going to kind of uh, step in on that territory a little bit. So Balanchunas is the guy. He's the thirty-seven minute, the you know, a night center. They're going to run all their lineups with him. And, him in there. They came into this offseason season knowing that Biombo was going to be leaving. And frankly, I would have rather paid Festus Azili what, fifty thousand times less than Biombo for uh yeah. to sign this off season. Where like the difference I mean Biombo significantly overachieved during the playoffs while Azelia, at least in the last taste that we had there, significantly underachieved. Biombo was one of those guys that probably got paid way more than what you're expecting him to produce in the future, but at the same time he was a pretty it's a pretty worthy signing.
3: Bianbo is one of the, the sponsored members of the Dunked Up Basketball podcast. So we probably shouldn't say too much about him. But <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of executives say to me in June that he was the guy that was going to get the contract that everybody was going to be terrified to, to look at in a couple of years. I think that got replaced by Timothy Moskoff once July happened. but And man, probably Joe Kim Noah, too, got the same money as Bianbo. But I, do, I am with you, Jared. I do think he got too much money.
1: Yeah, what's, and to be fair, no one in their wild deceiver dream could have imagined Timofey Mozgov getting that contract. <laughs> That's true.
2: Yeah, I think that That's true. What's, what's hard with Biombo is that he has a lot of defensive value, but we haven't seen him really do it over the course of minutes that you would demand in this, which is kind of the the weird ancillary of what happened with Mozgov, is with Mozgov, I just don't think he's that good. So, like, with Biombo, like there's a possibility that he's worth that contract, but there is a very distinct possibility that he is not. And his offensive value is so limited to basically grabbing rebounds and then nothing else that that is a, a real concern. And so like, there have been discussions about, you know, whether he would fit with, let's say, Portland, who ended up getting Azili. And he might. That, there were things about that defensively that really would have worked, but offensively he, it might have been a problem. So I understand why they were reluctant to do it. And you know the money isn't it isn't great, but the other weird question with him is just we're not exactly sure how old he is. But no matter what, he should still be on the front edge of his prime. Like even if even if you take a really unfavorable view of it, and so you know I, I think that for four years it's not going to be that bad. And Noah, that's the difference between that and Noah to me is that. Noah is going, every year is going to be worse than the prior year, at least physically. And so while he brings a lot outside of his, you know, physical ability, it still is precarious. Yeah. I mean, I,
3: I, you know, I I was the first one who had the the numbers on that in late June. And, and I remember when I, when I put that story out, there were a lot lot of fans who were kind of flabbergasted and thought I was making it up and, you know, turned out to be the right number. And, you know, look, Phil Jackson has always liked Joakim Noah, and once they traded Robin Lopez, you know I had a lot of people telling me, you know, from the media and fans, that oh, you know, the Knicks are going to carve up all this cap space for 2017 by you know getting getting out from under this money and trading for Derrick Rose. Well, you know, you guys both mentioned it earlier, but when you turn around and you you you, you sign Joakim Noah for four for 72, and you sign Courtney Lee for four for 50 though I, I thought that was a pretty good contract you go fill out the roster with these veteran guys that are in carmelo's carmelo anthony's timeline you know all of a sudden you know, you don't really have that same amount of money available next summer and you're looking at a roster that is just going to get older and frankly I, I i think like i said earlier i think they got more talent this summer but i think they're going to be a bad team this year anyway so i'm not really bullish on them in the short term or the long term so So it'll be very interesting to see how that that plays out and how the ramifications are of that if if I wind up being right.
1: Yeah, Tim, when you broke that, I assumed your Twitter must have gotten hacked because those numbers were just, like, burning down my apartment. I couldn't believe it. You know, the one saving grace that New York does have is that the Courtney Lee signing fit a need to a T for them perfectly, and they paid a pretty fair price for him. So I actually really like that deal, and that was I thought one of the better deals out there on the market, at least in in this division. Well,
2: and Brandon um, Jennings was really good too.
1: That too, and yeah. Brandon, pretty Brandon good. Jennings will be their best
3: point guard this year at one year and five million, which it could uh, be their was best, really good signing.
1: He could be their best point guard in the last five years, the way it's been going lately. Yeah, that's true. I really
3: like that move a lot. You know, and, and since we we've kind of talked around it, I was a proponent of Derrick Rose getting traded somewhere. I thought he needed to get out of Chicago. You know, things had just kind of run their course there. It became kind of a toxic atmosphere. And I thought it was probably best for everybody that he'd just move on. But New York was probably the worst place for him to get traded to. You know, if he could have gone to a team like Philly or Brooklyn or just some team that's – or Milwaukee, just some team that's kind of out of the spotlight and he could just go there and play and get some rhythm back and, and, and kind of just fly under the radar for a year – you know, I think maybe he would have had a chance to, to kind of get at least somewhat closer back to being a, a league average player. But going to New York, playing for a team that I, I think is probably going to at least run the triangle some of the time, playing at the Garden where, the, you know, there's just always a need to try to find a savior. I just really think it was about the worst possible scenario for for Derek to wind up in. And and I like, I like Joachim and I like Carmelo and I like Seth Porzingis and, and Ro, all his guys. Like, Courtney Lee's a good guy. Like, they got a bunch of good guys in that team. And I think is a decent coach. But I, I just think between age and, and injuries and, and just ineffectiveness at this point, I, I, just, really, I, I just really don't think this is going to go very well this year.
1: Yeah, this Knicks team c- could win the 2010 NBA Finals if they're lucky. But the The problem with for Derek is that he's in a place where he's or he could get booed if it doesn't if he just has a rough night and that's was definitely not the situation. You're you're so right about that. But also being in a system that could be a little restrictive on what his role needs to be is probably the worst thing for him at this point of his career. He'd probably rather be from basketball perspective in a situation like Jeremy Lin has in Brooklyn, where he's just kind of free to dribble around and find all the shots that he wants. I don't think that's going to really work out for him in New York unless they're able to really work something out where him and Melo are able to trade off shots. It's not even about him and Melo
3: trading off shots. It's he, if they're going to at least run the triangle a decent amount of the time, and, yeah. and he he's probably the single worst player to run the triangle in the NBA. I mean, he's just a terrible shooter, and it's just a just a terrible fit. Basketball wise,
2: yeah, the, I think there are two issues with the Knicks offseason that have kind of converged into this really strange spot. So one is last year. And I think Tim and I talked about this that Nate and I definitely did about how the Knicks were kind of on two different timelines because they had Melo, who is, you know, kind of an aging star, certainly talented, good player. We're seeing that in the Olympics as well. And then you had Christoph Sporzingis, who is just scratching the surface of what he can be and is going to take some time. You know, as good as he's been, he will be a lot better with time. And they unequivocally chose the mellow timeline. Like, that is one thing that happened this year. I think that was a mistake, but that's something they did. The second part of it is, by restricting their flexibility... They've really cornered themselves in 2017, which just so happens when, to be when Derrick Rose is a free agent. They could theoretically manufacture a little bit of space, but unless they do something drastic like moving mellow, they're going to have a narrow point guard market. They're going to basically need to overpay one of those guys to be there, and that's a really dangerous place to be, especially if they're a little bit older, because they can they don't have the patience to wait out a year in case the right guy doesn't say yes.
3: Yeah, it's not going to be good. I have a feeling this year, you know, who knows, maybe I'll be wrong and the Knicks win 45 games and and everybody's pretty happy and things go okay. But But even if
2: everyone's happy, how does this turn out? Does that mean they pay Derrick Rose, you know, four years, $100 million? Well, I
3: mean, I I think right now if they they win 45 games, everybody's happy, my guess is they give Derrick Rose a one-year deal for a ton of money. And... If he says no, they'll go sign somebody else because they they clearly want to try to get Russell Westbrook. I mean that that's the guy they've had their eyes on for a couple of years, and now that now that Russ is off the market for at least another year, you know I have a feeling they're probably going to go into next summer thinking, all right, we got to make sure we have room in 2018. So, you know, Mike, that's my guess is that they try to to do a stopgap of some kind. But yeah, you're right. I mean. They really backed themselves into a corner where if Rose plays well somehow, you know, they probably have to overpay him. And if he plays badly, they have to overpay his replacement because there isn't really a, a great option on the market unless, you know, they're pipe dream that, you know, they get Steph Curry to, to come back or they get Chris Paul. I mean, the one guy I will say that I do think is a possibility there is Chris Paul. I'm also not sure about the, Laker, or the, the Lakers, the Clippers this season. And I, I do think that both Blake and Chris could – could be intriguing three agents next summer, and and I think you know with Dwayne Wade in Chicago and Carmelo in New York, you know there's two guys who are close friends of his who are going to be on the phone with him, and you know maybe he just winds up staying in, in L.A. and taking the money and 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 playing with the Clippers, but uh, you know I think both of those teams are going to make a real hard run at, at Chris next summer, but the, but there's only one guy like that available, and if if he either stays in L.A. or goes somewhere else, you know then they're up a creek.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing for Rose is that unfortunately it's not as binary as if he's good or if he's bad. I mean, there's, what's the kind of the minimum threshold of mediocrity that they can accept that they want to commit to him if they think that the rest of the market is drying up for them? Because as far as movie Chris Paul, that requires GM Doc talking Coach Doc into build, you know, blowing up their roster. We know that Doc Rivers. No, is
3: well, president. no, they'll both be free agents next summer. So uh, him and him and Blake will be free agents. So he could just well, leave. Sure.
1: Sure, he could, but I mean, they, I assume that with Blake and him together, the Clippers still have a pretty significant advantage of retaining him. But of course, you got a, you got a few legs on a banana boat there in New York if Chris right. does go there. Right. Right.
2: And another one of them will be a free agent and wait if he wants to be. So I mean they can take and do some things. It's it's funny how like that idea will just keep on persisting until it's officially dead because it's because it's so. Uh, all right, it's going to happen.
3: It might not happen until those guys are thirty five or thirty six. But I will be very surprised if that never happens at some point later in their career when you know they don't all go play in L.A. or in New York or somewhere. I was actually going to
2: ask you that. So, Tim, if you had to guess, because I've been struggling with this ever since, like, basically people like Ben Golver have been having me dig out, like, fake banana boat, like building the team in different places. If you were to guess where it would happen, what would be your instinct?
3: I would think either L.A. or New York. You know, it will probably come down to whether Chris Paul or Carmelo is willing to leave or is he able to leave sooner. I mean, because, look, LeBron has his title in, in Cleveland now, so... The, the long-term prognosis there is wide open. I mean, He can now do whatever he wants. He can leave now, and it doesn't matter. Like, nothing matters. And now that Wade left Miami, it doesn't matter to him anymore either. I mean, he's not going to go play. In, he wasn't going to ever play in Denver or Milwaukee. That was a pipe dream. But he'll play in New York. He would have played in New York if the Knicks hadn't went out and signed other guys. And he'll play in L.A. So, you know, I mean, look, you can look ahead to next summer, and, you know, the, the Clippers are going to have a lot, a lot of money. And they could work Blake Griffin in a sign and trade for Carmelo. They could work DeAndre Jordan in a trade for Carmelo. And then they have enough cap space to go sign LeBron and Wade to go with Chris Ball. I mean, it, it could yeah, it could, it could even happen next summer maybe. But I, I I'll be stunned if at some point later in their career those four guys don't don't team up and play. You know, even if it's like a like the Rockets with with Barkley and. Elijah Wan and Drexler, if it's like a, you know, they they don't, maybe they don't, they're like barely a second round team, or, you know, maybe they get to a conference finals and they're all pretty old. But, uh, you know, you see how tight those guys are. And it it just, I just think the way the league is going now, it just seems inevitable that they're going to wind up riding out into the sunset together somewhere.
1: It's very plausible to see a banana boat or Carmelo Anthony wedding toast situation sans LeBron. That seems a lot more feasible. And with the, with the cap spiking over $100 million, these guys can take big pay cuts and still get paid a pretty solid chunk of change. So the new cap environment makes these kind of moves, although, of course, we don't know what happens with the new CBA. But as of right now, it definitely seems pretty plausible that you could get three of those guys together if they're willing to take like 10 or $15 million each.
2: Before getting back to the conversation, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about Blue Apron. It is a product that I am thrilled to use and even more excited to have as a sponsor of the show so I can tell everybody about it. It is an incredible way to build cooking confidence, and I'm somebody who grew up eating great food. I have two parents that are amazing chefs, but I didn't get much time in the kitchen, and so this has given me the experience to do that. Stuffed bell peppers recently, Moroccan lamb and beef pitas, the first time I've really cooked with lamb turned out great. And so you get to cook with awesome ingredients, great fresh vegetables that's been a real standout in almost every Blue Apron meal I've ever had, and either the meat is meat is awesome, sustainably sourced, I, I all of those things are huge benefits, and it's reasonable cost-wise, it's less than $10 a person a meal, and so you get the experience of making a high-quality meal in your home And you get the confidence to either do that again or do something similar. And you build up a book of recipes because you get all this. And one of the other huge benefits is that through Real GM Radio, you can actually get three free meals. And that includes free shipping. So you can go to blueapron.com slash realgm. And you can try it out. Hopefully you like it as much as I do, but either way, you get three free meals to see how you like it. It's something I look forward to every single week. I firmly believe that you will get into the same boat once you really try it out, so you go to blueapron.com slash real GM and check it out for yourself. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on to the uh, to the next question, which is, I'll start it with Jared, is uh, any move that it could be a, a pick, a trade assigning that stood out to you from this division for whatever reason?
1: I mean, the Rose trade we are, was the big one. We already went into detail on that. I'd say the Celtics not being able to trade their draft picks was one that really stood out, although they did technically trade their first two second-round picks for a conditional uh, first in the near future. But the Celtics seemed so dead set on they were going to clearly be able to pull off this trade to consolidate all the draft picks, and they ended up making five of them. Uh, and you know they 've got like uh, some of their second round picks, or they got Ben Bentle on a non guaranteed deal where they might end up having to waive him and lose his rights and basically throw away that draft pick if he 's not willing to stay in maine uh, with them so the The fact that the whole the whole draft night plan didn 't work out really at all for Danny age of course he still got to make those picks. that was a pretty fascinating one because the table was just set so hard for that to work out. But then at the same time, he was just so transparent about wanting to make a move that he kind of burned himself on that one, which is why I was always wondering pretty publicly why he was being so outright about it. Uh, But of course, making up for it by signing Horford really, really eases the pain on that one. And they continue to be positioned to move forward pretty well. But Act, having to make that third pick instead of being able to trade it before the pick is actually made obviously severely limits their ability to make a trade now.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Danny Ainge over the last few years hasn't really proven to be very good in the draft. I mean, you know, you just look for all of his talents as an executive, they, the the Celtics have swung and missed a lot, and we'll see if Jalen Brown becomes a really good player. But I mean, I personally would have taken Chris Dunn. I thought Chris Dunn was the second best player in the draft. I would have gone with him. He had the most trade value anyway at that point, you know. But they they stuck to their guns and took him. But but I agree. I mean, they, they you know they swung and missed that night. You know, if they they had gone all in and, and done you know managed to get Jimmy Butler, you know, I think there's a, a realistic scenario where Kevin Durant decides to go there instead, you know, and and all of a sudden then they're you know maybe they're maybe the best team in the league or they're certainly you know one of the the three or four best in a, in a finals contender. So, but. Like you said, the bottom line is they turned around and they got Al Horford, which is a huge win, huge win for them as a franchise. They finally get the monkey off their back in free agency. Um, that was my move of the, the summer, really, even you know the draft aside. I, I thought them getting Al Horford was, was just massive because it, it finally put to rest all of the talk about them being unable to get guys and uh, to come play there. And, and, it, and it gave them a guy to, to get other guys because it, it's easy to look at you know things in a vacuum and say, yeah, that Al Horford deal may not look great in a year or two, but the truth is, you need guys to convince other guys to come, and, and a guy like Al Horford is going to get other players to follow him there.
2: Yeah, it's, it's fascinating in that way, and also for me, why the Horford signing is so impactful is that they didn't have to give up any assets other than cap space to do it, which means that the consolidation path, which is something that the Celtics have been on seemingly forever, is a lot easier because now you only have to do that for one or two guys as opposed to three. And they, if they can hit on any of these picks, that will be even better. And Horford, yeah, he—you're right—he might not be the the best player three years from now, and he'll be paid a lot of money. I also, think that him being on a four-year contract is there. And I think there's some something funny about the fact that it took a max caliber guy, I mean maybe not a super max, but a max caliber guy getting lowballed by his original team, that probably opened the door. Because I think if the Hawks gave him a full five year at the beginning, I don't know how seriously he considers other places, but that also wasn't the Hawks.
3: Yeah, and the Celt- and look, the Celtics were very close to losing him to the Wizards. I mean it, it, it came right down to the end, the Celtics and Wizards. And, you know, just imagine if if Horford had decided to go to the Wizards, you know where would the Celtics be right now? You'd probably look at them as one of the biggest losers of the whole summer, and you know instead they, they managed to get him, and all of a sudden they're 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 sitting pretty. It's just it just kind of shows you you know what that high wire act of free agency can be, where you know if you if you go into the summer thinking you got to get a guy to to make or break you, then it's uh it can really be a stressful situation for a lot of teams to go through.
1: You know, it's the reason why the Celtics are trying to focus on building, at least not, if not necessarily through the drafts, but with their draft picks, was because of we've seen the uncertainty of free agency can be lethal for teams. You know, it started with New York when LeBron made his first decision, and it's happened for so many teams now. You know, obviously the fact that they got Horford can at least give them the confidence to try to go through this again and try to use if they're able to carve out more cast space in the future to make another chase at a max free agent. But they they came so close to hitting the fan there. Because you're right, if Horford didn't sign... They would have, I mean, they could have just sat on, they could have sat on cap space, who knows what they were going to do, but at that point, there wasn't really going to be another franchise player for them to turn to, and they need to keep moving forward rapidly if they want to go into next year convincing players like Durant or whoever else will be available that they really are the next title contender, and you need to hop on board in order to make it happen, so... That was huge, and it just goes to show that there's only a one degree of separation between being the next title contender and being a team heading towards rebuilding again.
2: Yeah, and I I think that another aspect of that that is incredibly important is that the Celtics were always incredibly well-positioned to be the next team to acquire a disgruntled superstar or to get somebody who the team was looking to clear, and through bad luck and teams just being a little bit smarter after the James Harden fiasco, that's not happening as much anymore. So DeMarcus Cousins, which I would say is a mistake, DeMarcus Cousins has not hit the market. James Harden just re-upped with the Rockets, which changes his situation. doesn't take him off the board. It just changes it. Russ is the same way. And so the Celtics were also on the precipice of that. Like, if the Westbrook thing happened after what happened, if Boston hadn't picked up those players, this would be looking even more dire than, I think, even the the more risky like the more risky people even expect it
1: and you know butler is still on the market whether he's being actively traded or not he's still going to be uh, he, he's still going to be a trade target because if chicago's current roster falters and come trade deadline, yeah. line they may see themselves as needing the cash in on butler while he's still a hot commodity and try to get some major draft picks or Jalen brown or something like that to build the new. so uh, they still have at least a couple guys that they can continue to target, so at least for them with Rustberg off the board and Duran off the board, it's not over for them and they still have i mean they still have two more Netflix coming, so they still obviously can make a big splash and Jalen Brown is tradable even if he's not as nearly as desirable on the market as Chris Dunn is and maybe even as much as Dragon Bender is, but they still got so many guys, including Isaiah Thomas by the way, who who uh, said a couple weeks ago that he's expecting a Brinks truck full of cash uh, when he gets free agency from Danny Ainge. So they might have to take those words to heart and realize that they might need to move on from him for maybe a more complete point guard, although there's very few of those guys that they could really improve upon. So they're still going to be active. I still expect them to make another trade during the season or maybe even before the season.
2: They're in a really a really fascinating situation because they do have these pressures. I mean, Bradley and Thomas are on these incredible value contracts that are about a year and a half away from being you know pumpkins from being from being more normal because those guys are going to get paid unless they use those low cap holds. Uh, but that leads and into Kelly Olenek. and Olenek. And Olinick. So that leads into though. Uh, I, I think we can exclude Al Horford because he's such an obvious pick. The guy who you think is going to be the best newcomer to his team this year.
3: I thought the Nets getting Jeremy Lin might have been the best signing of the whole summer. You're just strictly on value and need and and fit. No, look, Jeremy Lin isn't the guy who you know was in the middle of insanity, but he's a good player and he's a he's a competent league average point guard, maybe slightly better, which is a massive upgrade for the Nets from where they were last year. And for a team, you know, he's he's back with the with the coach Kenny Atkinson, who who was with him in New York, in the, you know when he really took off and. You know, has a real connection with him. And and most importantly, you know, look, the Nets, you know, I'm in New York. The Nets are completely irrelevant. And you shouldn't make moves based off of trying to get attention. But if you can make a move that not only fits your team, but also will get you a lot of attention, then it really is a no-brainer. And the fact that the Nets got Jeremy Lynn on their team will make them at least somewhat relevant in New York just because he's there. And he also will give them a really good at a, at a spot they really needed it so and, and frankly i thought they got him for a steal of a price when you look at what you know some of these other guys got the fact that they only paid him 12 million dollars a year for for two years with an option is is a steal so i, I really like that move a lot for them I, I thought it was a perfect fit and you know it was something they really needed to get done
1: Totally agree that Lynn is probably the best, one of the best value free agent signings out there, best value free agent signing in this division. But I think Ben Simmons is the best newcomer. He's the guy, I think, more than anyone else out there besides Horford that will come into his current team and change and improve the situation, both from a basketball perspective and, of course, from a PR perspective. Because Simmons coming in there, it makes such a huge impact on how Philadelphia views it the Sixers and how the franch- how the front office views the progress of the team. So I think Simmons will have a much bigger impact than Lynn as far as probably not only just being able to make that team a competent basketball team, or at least a semi-competent basketball team, but just changing the direction for that franchise overall, even though I probably would rather have Jeremy Lynn run my basketball team than Ben Simmons, at least for coming into opening night this year. But after a few months of running the uh, running the offense if that's really what they're going to do with Simmons, he might end up being better than Lynn by the end of the season
2: and it's crazy that you have those two really legitimate options outside of Al Horford, who I think we would both probably all agree is is probably number one just because he's a max caliber guy and with Lynn the one of the important parts and this is true with Simmons too is is the juxtaposition because both of those teams were so hamstrung by horrendous guard play last year, and you know, having people who can run their offense, the Nets were just as justifiable as the Darren Williams thing was from a financial perspective. From just kind of under understanding their situation, their point guard situation was deplorable last year, and that was a part of what led them down that path. And Lynn, as flawed as he is, can certainly make that better. And you know that if depending on what they do with Brooke, that can be a meaningful difference. And While he's not a point guard in the sense that he guards other teams' point guards, Ben Simmons can help restructure Philadelphia's offense in a similar way, and considering those are two teams that were basically unwatchable for that reason last year, it's really a welcome change to see them get better.
1: And let's hope that Ish Smith's season last year lives on in the pantheon of NBA lore forever, but... Philly actually has a guy that can run point now. I mean, they have a guy that can actually make incisive passes. B- probably be able to run pick and roll. We'll see. And you know, not to mention they add Sarich, they add guys like Bayless and Rodriguez. They have a bunch of competent ball handlers now. Who I mean, at least so Simmons and Sarge need a ton of development before they're actually good ball handlers. But Philly will actually look like a basketball team, which I think is probably more than we can say for Brooklyn this year.
2: Brooklyn, if, if Grievous Vasquez can play, I think he'll be a significant help for them. But we don't, you know, we don't know how healthy he is and everything like that. But this all ties in also with the next question. I phrased it for last year and this year in a very particular way, which is, The rookie that you are most excited to see. Not who you think is best, because in this case, that would be pretty easy. But the rookie that you, for whatever reason, it could be that they have a lot of potential, or it could be that they are the best. But uh, we'll start with Jared, the guy that you're most excited to see.
1: I have been waiting so many long years of sleepless nights, waiting to watch Joel Embiid play in the NBA. And hopefully it's finally going to happen. But, I mean, this guy, he just... It's it's like becoming a Frank Ocean album at this point. There's just so much hype, so many little snippets of previews of potential dominance. He looks bigger, stronger, more athletic, he looks like an absolute monster. And I'll believe it when I actually see it on national or on television, wearing an actual Sixers jersey during a game actually taking place. But I've always felt that he could be the next absolute, you know, hallmark center in the NBA. Could be a Hall of Famer if he gets healthy. And this is the guy I'm looking forward to seeing more than Ben Simmons, more than Saric. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that Philly might have the three best centers or three best rookies in this rookie class uh, right now. It's pretty remarkable. I can't think of a, another team in memory, at least in my lifetime, that had three, like, stud rookies coming in at the same time.
3: Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see this entire Sixer team. I mean, they got three Rookies like that, you mentioned, um, you know, they're going to have Luwawa, I think, on the team. Timothy Luwawa, who is also interesting. And uh, I think they're, I mean, you mentioned how you think they're going to be competent, and the Nets might not be this year. I actually don't necessarily think the Sixers are going to be very competent at all. And it's not really a, a knock on on their talent. They obviously have a ton, and I think they're going to be in really good shape. But I don't think this is going to make much sense right away. You know, Simmons and Sarich are, are kind of the same player. Um, they, they kind of play the same position. I, I don't really know if you could play them together. Um, they have three centers. You know, in addition to Embiid, they've got Noel and Julia Okafor. You, you really can't play any of those guys together. Um, you know, Sarch and Simmons are probably both best used as power forwards, so you've got, you know, maybe your five most talented players are power forwards and centers, so you know, that that's going to be interesting to see how that works. They still don't really have any shooting. You know, I signed Jared Bayless to get a little bit of shooting, and you know, but they—they, they, you know, if you're going to play Ben Simmons a lot, you know, you can't really run pick and rolls with a guy no one respects his jump shot at all. You know, I, I just think that whole team with those three rookies is going to be really fascinating because I just don't really know how it's going to work, and it'll be fun to to see how it all comes together and if they can start to figure it out as the year goes up.
1: Assuming they keep the roster together as it is now, I, you'd have to assume that probably Sarich and Embiid are coming off the bench to start. And then you probably have maybe either Bayless and Gerald Henderson starting or the Rodriguez could start as well. And then it's just going to be mixing it up between putting the ball in uh, Simmons' hands and then maybe a little bit in Bayliss's hands, although I don't think Bayless could probably could really run a pick-and-roll at all at this point of his career. Uh, but they probably, with those lineups, have just enough shooting from the backcourt to at least have some, some sort of offense. But you're right, their offense is not going to be pretty. It's going to be some sort of kind of mediocre mismatch version of what milwaukee was trying to do when they ran those lineups with bayless last year and they had a tentacumpo running point so it's going to take them a while whether it's more than a year to even figure out how to run the offense but brett brown i definitely have i definitely have the expectation that he'll be able to devise at least a pretty good scheme coming into the season and it's just going to be a lot of just learning on the fly for simmons and They've been in that position for the last few years where they've just been willing to let their guys learn on the fly, so I don't really see that changing. They're probably going to lose a lot to start the season. The question is whether they're going to get a lot better in the second half of the season.
2: Yeah, I think the issue with them is that they will be, they'll still be bad. You know, the Sixers are still not going to be a good team, but they will be more watchable and they will be more interesting. And I think Brett Brown is going to have a lot more to work with, which is exciting. You know, that they're going to actually have. NBA talent more through more of their roster spots. I mean, even like they, they probably have too many fours and fives to even play Carl Landry when last year Carl Landry was one of their more stable fours, even though he was hurt most of the year and didn't play very much. And so to be able to have that is a really nice benefit. Sergio and Bayless, as much as I don't love the Bayless signing, they can both play basketball, which is a nice upgrade on on that. And they still have TJ McConnell. I think he's much better served as the third point guard than than anything else. And, you know, if he does better than that, then you can always make something happen with those guys. So, yeah, I think that that, that, that's really interesting in terms of how they're all going to fit together. And I was going to pick Embiid as well, just because his physical potential is there. Like, I think his ceiling is actually almost as high, it might even be higher, but the injury affects it with Ben Simmons, because Simmons, you know, he can run an offense, if he can run an offense at 6'10", that's a, a game changer just like it is for a guy like LeBron, even if he's never the scorer or the defender that LeBron is. Like Even if he's a, let's say a 6'10", Ricky Rubio, a 6'10", Ricky Rubio is a really fascinating player, and so if he can do that at any level, I think that changes the way you think about teams, and it is really exciting in that way, and so I think you can go with with any any one of those, and I'm also excited with Jalen Brown because if Jalen is closer to what the op, the Jalen Brown optimists think, that is a really nice fit for what the Celtics are looking for. And while he's you know not Ben Simmons, you know he doesn't do all that kind of stuff. He's still a very talented basketball player, and he is in a good position to be a smaller cog in a bigger machine. So whether that is be playing next to like Gordon Hayward if they sign him as a free agent, or any of the other things that the Celtics can do. If he can live up to his like kind of his upside, he becomes a very useful piece on a team that is a whole lot more relevant.
1: Yeah, and Jalen either way fits the mold for what they wanted. I mean, they got a guy that that can work with the current team and can work with the future, or whatever this team becomes. Because they really needed guys that could go, that could just really score in transition. They actually aren't terrible in transition, even though they have very few guys that can score in it. But they just, they their ball pressure is so strong on defense that they get a lot of easy transition opportunities. And but we saw, I mean, it was Summer League, but you just saw that Brown was so good at going coast-to-coast coast with the ball. He's very adept at kind of bobbing and weaving through traffic to find looks at the rim. Right now, his problem is that he can't get off a decent look at the rim, although it started to come around later in Summer League. But he's the kind of guy that will be able to at least be a useful offensive tool, even if he's not probably for a couple of years, ready to be a guy that they run the offense through. So it works for them pretty well getting Jalen Brown. Of course, he'll be a, a good rebounder, and he'll be able to develop a pretty good, at least off-ball defensive skill in the near future. So it was a good pick for them, and he's definitely got a lot of potential. But it's not as much of a risky situation as I think a lot of people would see it, even though they think he's a bit of a project. Because the way that his game looks so far, I think either way, even if he doesn't fulfill his potential as an on-ball score, he'll still be a pretty useful player.
2: So I think that's a reasonable way to kind of finish up the offseason review. I think that Brown is a really a kind of a fascinating piece because he will be a part of their present and also part of their future, but now we'll shift into a season preview, and so that's really looking more at the 2016-17 season. And, and that is a, a really basic question, but actually pretty informative in this division, which is ranking the teams one to five. I, my thought was to do it on regular season kind of estimated record, but if you want to use a different criteria, feel free to do it and just say what you're using.
3: Um, yeah, I, I'm on regular season record. I think that's the way to do it. I would say it's probably the same exact order as, as well, yeah, I would say the same exact order as last year. I I, I think that's right. Toronto, Boston, New York, Brooklyn, and then Philly. I'm not as bullish on Boston as a lot of people. I like them. I think Brad Stevens is a heck of a coach. But I still don't really look at that team and see a ton of talent, even with Al Horford there, who I think is a big upgrade. I just don't know if they're going to be that much better win total-wise, whereas I think Toronto's probably going to be right about where they were last year. Toronto, I'm not a huge fan of Toronto either. I don't think they're a team that's built to, to succeed in the playoffs. I think you look at their playoff run, and they got lucky between – they probably should have lost to the Pacers, got out of that series. Then if Miami hadn't had a million injuries, I think they lose to the Heat in the conference semis. But but they are they are really built for the regular season with guys like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and Yos Valchukis. So I think they'll probably win the division again. I, I think the Knicks, Nets, and Celtics could actually have the three worst records in the conference. But I, I think they'll, they'll definitely be three of the five worst teams. I think the Nets probably are just a little bit better than the Sixers because the Sixers, while they have more talent, are going to be relying on a ton of really young guys. And as, as you guys both know, if you're playing basically all rookies uh, as your main players, you know, it's going to take a year or two for them to, to really adjust to adjust to playing at the NBA level. Um, so I, I think they'll probably struggle win-wise, you know, maybe they win 19, 20 games again, um, and, the, and the Nets, you know, maybe win 25. But certainly, you know, it, it, you look at Philly, and regardless of their win total this year, like you said earlier, Danny, this team is going to be so much more fun to watch going forward that, it, you know, it's, it's going to be finally nice to be able to turn on a Sixer game and watch them for a change.
1: Yeah, I mean the Sixers are going to be one of the worst league pass must-watch teams of all time. They 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 might crack thirty wins if everything goes as well as possible, but I'm still going to watch pretty much every single game they play this year. So I think it's really a race for the bottom of the for the first uh, first pick in the draft. uh, Although it's not going to happen for the Nets if they end up with it anyway. Um, But the Nets, I think, are probably. Just slightly worse on paper, but you are right that at least they have a bunch of like pretty experienced veterans that, and they have a somewhat rounded rotation with guys like you know like Foy and Vasquez and Scola filling out the back end of the rotation that they they might end up winning more games than the Sixers if the Sixers can't really get it together because they do have a pretty lopsided <coughs> offense, um, and then the Knicks are going to be scratching somewhere around five hundred whether they falls flat and they end up with 35 wins or it works out pretty well and they end up with 45 wins i think they have as much they i think they probably have the biggest range of win potential of any team in the league right now they go they, things that go really south or they can go really north for them and then i i don't see i don't see toronto getting the 56 wins again i just they don't they just don't feel like a 56 win team but of course they pulled it off last year but um, Boston and Toronto will probably be neck and neck. It'll probably be a race of the finish That's the best record there. But I, I had I was trying to do the math on how I thought Boston would win for an ESPN piece that I was working on. And uh, I, I saw their range being between 50 to 55 wins. So I settled on 53 wins. I just rounded up for 52 and a half. So I, I see them probably neck and neck with Toronto. Toronto probably is – Toronto could probably, probably win the series in seven if they had to the, – face off in the second round of the playoffs based on what the what we see today but I, I think Boston is probably going to end up being the better team even though I like Toronto best right now
2: so something to consider in this that I hadn't really thought about until preparing for this podcast is that the Raptors two years ago so obviously last year was a market was a huge success it, they were kind of it kind of felt to me like it was a little bit of a disappointment they had a bottom 10 defense and they still ended up with 49 wins which is more than Boston had last year. Now, I think we all expect Boston to be a better team this year than they were last year, but that does inform a little bit about what the floor is for the Raptors in terms of wins, that they, they might mm-hmm. be a little bit better in terms of that. And as much as I'm skeptical of them as a playoff team, I'm doing that. And also, there, there's a difference in this—I'll talk about this with Brooklyn in a second—where— there is basically very little chance that Toronto will do anything to make their team worse. You know, it's not like they're going to trade Kyle Lowry or anything like that. DeRozan's locked in. Unless somebody gets hurt, and that's certainly possible. It's possible Lowry has a worse year. So I lean slightly towards Boston, partially because they can also make a win-now move. You know, this is a team that if they wanted to trade the Nets pick and get a whole lot better, they definitely could. I don't think they will, but they could. And so that possibility pushes them to one for me, but it is insanely close. The Knicks are clearly third. I mean, there isn't really anybody else that's in that conversation. And I'm a little bit higher on them than Tim, but not much. You know, I I think that one of the big problems for them is just that they're not deep enough. You know, they, they have to basically have almost everybody on their team healthy. Mello is important in that way, and he's had a lot of injury stuff. Rose, of course. You know, Porzingis and Noah, we don't even know what Noah's going to be at this point. So there's a lot there. But even in the negative injury scenarios, they're still better than the Nets and the Sixers. And where this ties in with the Nets is that, as presently constructed, I think the Nets are better than the Sixers in terms of regular season record. But I just wrote on this for the Sporting News, it's a challenge to move Brook Lopez. But if they do, that team falls off a cliff because he's such a good player. And because if they're trading him they're doing it for long-term assets. They're not doing it to, you know, to prop it up because there isn't a better short-term player they can get than a healthy Brook Lopez. So that possibility is there, but I think I still go Nets four, Sixers five, but it's real close.
0: I actually
3: don't think they're going to trade Brook. You know, maybe they maybe they wind up doing it, but they're going to wind up keeping him um, and, and kind of, you know, having him, you know, as kind of the anchor of this of this transition phase that they're in. I mean... You know, given his injury history, you probably can't get real value for him at this point anyway. And and I think given what they're trying to do from a culture standpoint and from a, you know, kind of restarting things there, I think that he's probably worth more to them on the roster than uh, than off of it.
1: Yeah, he's a really good value for them. He's He doesn't turn 29 until April. So he's he's kind of in the right age where by the time they're able to turn this thing around, he'll still be uh at, he'll be at the tail end of his prime probably. Dep- I mean we have no idea how long it'll take them, of course. And I know he's been coming out a lot lately, talking of kind of really blasting the previous culture and everything. And he's he's someone that seems like the perfect guy to try to instill a new culture for this team. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense trading him unless they're getting multiple first round picks or something like that, which could happen, but it's hard to imagine that happening unless you really looks amazing in the first half of the season. And and just going back to Boston quickly, one more thing that's important to acknowledge, they were pretty much the worst three-point shooting team in the league last year. They took, I think it was the 11th most three attempts, and they finished third to last in percentage behind. I think they were just ahead of, was it like Memphis and the Lakers? So they... They couldn't hit a three to save their life, and they were missing so many open threes. It was It was pretty remarkable. So they need to get marginally better at hitting threes to make a, to make to really improve by like three or four wins. Just being at least a, a moderately better three point shooting team would make that difference for them. And then when you look at the guys that they added like Horford, I think that that really pushes it in their favor.
2: Yeah, it's definitely something where they have that also. Boston had a very good defense last year, but we also saw Atlanta, the second half of last year, had a I think they were the second best defense in the league, with Horford as being their, their center. I mean they got a lot out of their perimeter players base more, Paul Millsap, you know, they had a, a it was a great team defense. But they still did have Jeff Teague in that offense and, and or defense in Kyle Corver and all that. So Horford can help in that way as well to stabilize it and to, with the, Amir being able to play more in the second unit, to have. A more consistent forty-eight minutes from the big man spots because their perimeter defense is going to be awesome. Yeah,
1: they've, they've 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 got so many bodies out there, and now Rozier looks like he's going to be a decent rotation player. And he was a really he's a really good transition player and a good uh, defensive player, uh, although not off ball, just on ball defense. Uh, and he could rebound really well. So they've just got so many of those guys, and they're looking at Marcus Smart to make the big jump this year. It's like he's either going to be six uh, six man of the year candidate or it's going to be time to move on from him and try to trade him or something because he's kind of at that make-or-break point, Coming like most good players coming into their third year, where he's got to show that he can run, pick, and roll. He's got to show that he can hit an open three, which he struggled with last year. Those are the two main areas where they need him to develop because he's got to make up for the loss of Evan Turner, which not a lot of people outside of the NBA or outside of Boston noticed last year, but he actually had a good year on both ends of the court he was actually statistically one of the best defenders at his position and he was the guy that really carried the mantle for their second unit and most importantly stepped in when they had so many injuries in the playoffs last year and was an important secondary ball handler so they don't have a secondary ball handler anymore and they're counting on smart and a little bit of Rogier to do it for them
2: it is a little bit surprising, as much as there are cultural issues with it, that they haven't really gotten in the Lance Stevenson Derby, because he, as much as he is a flawed guy and a flawed player, he is the closest they could get to that, and it seems like the price on him is extremely low. But that will be something to consider with them, and a lot of the players, I mean, I like R.J. Hunter, but R.J. Hunter can't run a pick-and-roll right now. You know, they don't really have that many other options for that, and second-unit offense is very important, and it's actually one of the things that the Raptors do so well with having Corey Joseph. You know, they're they're strangely deep at the one, and even without DeLon right. So they'll still be solid in that way. And, of course, they can play together as well, which is really nice. And that provides a level of stability that I don't think any of the other teams in this division can really touch, and not many other teams in the league. So the next question I have for you guys, uh, I, I, I don't think it'll be that hard considering what we've already discussed, is just how many teams in this division make the playoffs?
1: Two.
3: Two. I, I, I'm, I'm very confident in saying that. I, I don't I don't think the Knicks will be near the playoffs, so I would say two.
1: Yeah, it, the Knicks, everything has to go right for the Knicks for them to be a playoff team this year, so I agree, agree too.
3: And also, I, I'm not even sure if that's true. I mean, if you just go through and count up the teams that should be better than them, I think you can get to ten really
2: fast. Let's do it. That sounds like fun. So, obviously, right, the, so, the two teams in this yeah, division, obviously we can start sure. there right then okay so let's go to the let's go to the central division so cleveland obviously i would say indiana detroit and then milwaukee i would say they 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 kind of have a variance they could be or they could not be milwaukee and chicago
3: both both should be mm-hmm. i mean they may not be but on paper i think they both
1: should be better and then Washington and Orlando are probably just about as good, I would say. So they I'd could, say Washington. They could end up in the same error. spot. I'd, I'd say think Washington is. is Washington is
3: uh, is certainly better. You know, if they get hurt, they will they won't be good. But if, if Washington's main players are healthy, they're unquestionably better. Than
2: and Atlanta's Washington. better. You know, even even though they lost some guys, they're still better. They have talent and they're well coached and they you know they have. It'll be fascinating to see right. what happens the, with the, the
3: questions yeah. are the questions are Orlando and. Like, you can, you can question Milwaukee, Chicago, Orlando, and Miami. Like, they're in the same ballpark. So that, and the only
2: that's 9-13. That to
3: 13.
2: And the only teams that are unambiguously worse are the Nets and the Sixers.
3: Right. That's right. That
2: right. So, yeah. If and the, the, Hornets, make-
1: the Hornets are better, too, I think.
2: Oh, I think the Hornets you know if are much mentioned
1: better. It. Much better. Right. I mean, you're looking at Milwaukee and, and New York. had um, They were one game apart last year. If you're picking a team that's going to make a big leap to get – probably 7 to 10 wins better, I definitely in picking a, uh, Milwaukee to be that team. I think that's fair. Yeah,
2: unquestionable, unquestionably, unquestionably. And even then, like if, if New York has to make a big jump and probably somebody else has to be dealing with a lot of injuries. It is certainly possible. I'm not going to say that it isn't, but it will take a lot. And the Knicks have as much reason for injury-related concerns as anybody. So they have to be healthier than other teams, not just healthy.
1: Yeah, their whole offseason was built on picking up two guys that are probably a shell of themselves and hoping that they somehow found the fountain of youth in uh, in Midtown.
2: It, it is it is true that the the middle of the east and like the playoff picture I think got a lot better, like even a team like orlando they're they're certainly imperfect, and they're another team like the Sixers kind of that needs to make a couple moves to allow their roster to make any sense, but they still have a lot of talent and they at least they have an identity defensively that they might depending on who they end up playing that they can end up shutting people down. They still don't have anybody who can score, which is certainly a problem. But Eli, if you're in the mix with Orlando and Milwaukee, if Milwaukee disappoints, not if Milwaukee does well, then they're substantially above this. Then that's a problem. When this year is probably the best year of this Knicks group.
3: Yep, that's why I, uh, that's why I'm very down on their summer because I I don't, don't think they're going to be good this year, and this is the year they're probably going to be best with this group. So it's not a it's not a great uh, it's not a great sign for them going forward.
2: Tim, what do you think? Is the current status in terms of Melo's willingness to waive his no trade, like if this season goes badly, is that the type of thing that would allow that to happen? Uh, Maybe. Uh, you know, look,
3: there's a lot that can happen with the Knicks between now and next July. I mean, you know, kind of the unspoken thing about them is that Phil Jackson's got a player. You know, there's a mutual option in Phil Jackson's contract where, you know, if, if they, you know, either side can – can bail on on the situation next summer, and you know there, it, there's no. I don't think it's a coincidence that that happens to fall in line with uh, you know Jeannie Buss's you know alleged three year plan for her brother and Mish Kupchak to turn the Lakers around. So you know if, if Phil Jackson leaves, things could change. If the next struggle, things could change. I think it's just too hard to say right now how things are going to look going forward there, because you know as we've seen in uh, as we've seen in New York. You know, it's never, uh, you know, it, things never go according to plan. So, I mean, it, you know, who knows? If they're 10 and 40 at the deadline, maybe Melo says, you know, the heck would they get me out of here now? But I think most likely he's there at least for this season. And then, to your point, things would probably have to go pretty bad, I think, for him to decide to uh, to bail next summer and go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and Melo wants to be in a prime time location, right? So he wants to be able to establish his brand as a, you know, and from the, art and pop culture field and all that Right. Well, so. maybe.
3: I, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure about that anymore. Like, It's a I, I, It's a factor. Well, yes and no. I mean, look, he really likes being in New York, but I think if he decides he wants to get traded, he's going to want to get traded to a team that can win. You know, I still think Cleveland's a possibility for that if he does wind up getting moved. Kevin Love, then? Um, yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I, I think... You know, I think Carmelo's been a little unfairly painted with, uh, with uh, you know, he's old, way more, he's more interested in other stuff than basketball. I mean, look, the the thing that people never like to admit about the situation that about the situation he was in back in 2014 was that he was kind of like the situation Darren Williams was in when he resigned with the Nets. He didn't have another option really but to sign with the Knicks. The other teams that were in the mix were all either were all offering him either you know like the Bulls for instance offered him they didn't even offer him a max contract. He would have had to sign for like four years and I think four for seventy four for seventy five and the Knicks offered him five for one hundred and twenty five. So I mean no I don't think any right. I mean I don't think anybody's turning that down. So nobody has. Right. So I think it's you know I think it's kind of you know I think he's even admitted, look if Chicago had had, had been able to get to a max offer, I would have went there. You know, and it does. You know, you do wonder. Well, you know, was would that have been the right move for them to try to to try to get some more cap space then and get them? But you know, I, I do think if, if he does decide to get traded, I don't think he's going to say I'm only going to the Lakers. I think he's going to go somewhere where he can win. Now that might be the Clippers. You know, maybe he wants. Maybe it's for Blake. Like I've I kind of always thought that that was a trade that I could see Doc doing. That's and, exactly where I was going to go with it. And I, and I don't even know. And, and honestly, I don't even know – this, this might be controversial. I, I, I almost wonder if Carmelo still is, isn't a better player than Blake in three years. I, uh, I'm worried about Blake with, with his knees and, and the amount of pounding he's, he's had on him. I, at least Carmelo, I would think, as a stretch four, should age pretty well. But, but regardless, you know, that, that's the kind of deal that I, I think you could see happen. But the Knicks are just such a circus that trying to predict what's going to happen with them – you know, even a month ahead of time is uh, is probably a fool's errand, let alone a year.
2: There's also a very real consideration that, because Blake Griffin's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and this is something that I dealt with talking to people about the Harrison Barnes situation, and I think what happened is illuminating in that sense, is that when you're a free agent, you have to choose to want that. And saying that Blake will choose... The Knicks over all of the other options that are on the table, like theoretically, let's say that's how he could get to the Knicks, you know, that's choosing market over winning in a way that it it does happen, but it's happening a whole lot less now than it did before. And so it is possible, but I wouldn't say it's definite in any way that he would facilitate that and that that's something that he would want.
1: It has to be something major to be able to push Blake Griffin out of the Clippers. Now, of course, if everything falls apart and it looks like they're not going to be a winning franchise for this next contract, that's one thing. But he has everything set up for him perfectly there. He's 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 on a, a basketball team that fits him from a basketball perspective well, allows him to thrive and be a star. His acting career and his comedy career seem to be taking off to the point that he's going to be known for that almost as much as he's going to be known for his basketball it's it's just it's so hard to see him walking away from the Clifford situation unless the franchise itself is going to be hitting a major uh, crevasse.
2: the way that it would happen to me and it's it's hilarious because the guy who has the cravenness to pull this off is Chris Paul would be if Chris Paul had the gumption let's say, to make the ultimatum that I'm not going to be on the team if Blake's on the team. And so basically then if Blake is choosing between being on a team with DeAndre Jordan and a lot of not great players, maybe then you push that issue a little bit. like, And that would be the way that Chris could kind of force the military. But let's say you took the Clippers off the board for Blake Griffin. I still don't think he's choosing the Knicks.
3: No, you wouldn't think so. But and again, you know, if the Knicks win 46 games like some people think they can, maybe they look more attractive. You know, I I don't know. It's too hard to. It, I mean, look, it it's just too. A lot of this stuff is just hard to project out. I know you're feeling confident after after calling Durant to the Warriors in October, but we got to let this uh, let this all play out and see see how it goes. But there is no question to me that you know, after all the talk this year about Durant's free agency, I think that the the dual situations of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in L.A. are going to be fascinating to watch because. You know I think those guys are a lot more on the market in terms of being able to leave than people think and it'll be real interesting to see how the season goes if if they you know they slip a little bit or they, they are even just treading water as kind of a you know the third or fourth team again and, and I'm you know destined to go home in the first or second round again it, it'll just be it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out.
1: That 's just one of those teams that hasn 't refreshed themselves enough over the years to make me think that they can really continue to attack i mean most most teams built around the core continue to refresh the supporting pieces, and I just don 't think they 've done that enough to make me think that they're going to be able to really bring something new to the table they you know the, the scouting report is pretty much out on them. every team in the league knows how they want to try to play them it 's really just a matter of can they actually. Do enough to overcome the talent and power and athleticism of the big three that they have there.
2: Yeah, and I think Chris Paul is the X factor in all of this because I could totally see Blake just really wanting to go back and doing all that. And you know, he could hit. Chris Paul doesn't have to necessarily impact his decision, but I could see Chris seeing the writing on the wall, basically saying, "You know, this is." this is what we're going to be, and every year is going to be, you know, a little bit worse than the next, and with the Warriors becoming a super team, and the Spurs are, you know, capable and all that kind of stuff, that that could push him away. That doesn't necessarily screw the Clippers long-term, depending on how Rock Divers and, you know, their front office reacts to it. But Chris is in that sweet spot, and it's actually part of the reason why I wrote the piece for the Sporting News last year, advocating that they should consider trading him because i think he could be the mover here that he just says as as good of a situation as this is i'm willing to walk away from it which is a very different thing than we usually see with star players on a good team
3: yeah no i I totally agree and and look I, i could easily see a scenario where 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 doc cp3 and blake start on the team next year where you know chris paul decides to go play in either chicago or new york and Blake maybe say goes across the hall, plays for the Lakers, or goes to OKC, or or goes somewhere else, and and Doc then looks at a rebuilding team and says, you know what, I'm probably better off going and doing some TV. So I, I think that's obviously a, a you know a doomsday scenario for the Clippers, but I think that a lot of things are possible with that team. And I know I know we got far off the Atlantic Division with this Clippers conversation, but I uh,
1: <laughs> wrong side of the I,
3: I, I think it'll be. I think they will be. Very fascinating this year to watch and and to see how,
1: how that all unfolds. And just one last thing: this is Chris Paul's age thirty one season, so he's getting up there. Where if you can trade for a solid or you know good player that's in his mid twenties, that might be very very attractive. Well, that is the other that is the other thing too, where he's a aging small point guard, and, and
3: you do he's have a to lot wonder, of miles on right? And who has had knee trouble, and so you do have to wonder. You know, at what point does the bottom fall out? Because a lot of times with these small guards, when the bottom falls out, it falls out fast.
1: And Tony Parker is a perfect example of that, who went from finals MVP to kind of afterthought overnight.
3: Yeah. It it
2: happens a lot. I mean, it's just something other than John Stockton. It happens to almost everybody.
1: Right. And
3: maybe Chris Paul Paul is the exception to the rule, but, you know, it, it will be... It will be fascinating to see if you know if, if the if the clock does finally strike twelve with them either this year or or the following. I mean I you know I, I would be, I'd be real nervous. You know, I, let's assume Chris has another great year. I'd be real nervous to give that guy a four year max contract going into age thirty two as a six foot point guard with knee trouble. I mean that's a, that's a really really risky contract
1: to hand out.
2: While we're blindly speculating about twenty seventeen for agents, Jared, how would you feel about Gordon Hayward next summer?
1: Uh, yeah, it'd be nice, right? I mean, Jalen Brown is a fairly similar guy. There, Gordon Hayward has been the first guy off of every person's head in Boston ever since Brad Stevens got here. He's it, not a necessity for them to go after, though. He'd be, he'd be good. Obviously, he's not the guy that they want to get. And the question is, are they going to pay him? What What would be his max on top of that?
3: Oh no, I, I twenty seven. I'm kinda of laughing at, at the way you're describing that. I, I they I think they absolutely wanna sign him and I, I think the I think he'll probably be their top target next summer. I don't know who else they're really gonna go
1: after. I mean I guess maybe I guess maybe Blake but So that's that's who I was gonna say is I think I think maybe Blake would be their number one target. Hey, I, really I'd rather, I'd really I'd like rather have I think I'd rather have Hayward on the next contract than Blake, personally. Yeah, if you consider the injury risk, that definitely makes a lot of sense. The thing is, if they sign Hayward, I don't know what they do with Jalen Brown. They might trade him, or they might just figure by the time Hayward's contract runs out, they're going to be you know, figuring it out with Jalen Brown. Uh, but I think there's a lot of overlap in their skill. But obviously, you know that Gordon Hayward is a great player, or a really good player, I should say, and he's still really young, so it's worth the bet on him.
2: So, Hayward, for reference, if the cap is 102 and they don't change the structure too much because of course that's something that is a factor in all this is the new CBA is that it would be about <coughs> about 28.8 million would be his starting salaries. My, my current estimate I have a, I have kind of an estimator on this sort of thing and you know, that's a lot of money. But if but the other yeah. thing about with Hayward is it's the same aspect as with Al Horford is that you're getting him on a four year contract, not a five. And I think that's a lot more palatable, especially because it would, presumably be a three plus one, which actually doesn't make it better for Boston, but, you know, it's not that bad. And also, if they're getting Hayward as a free agent, they're not giving up anything again. So then you have that whole thing of playing, kind of paying forward the assets and keeping all of that together. So you do that. And the other guy I was thinking about just off the top of my head is like, if Doc was going to trade Chris Paul, which he isn't, Boston probably makes the most sense because they're, they could go into win now. They have plenty of assets. And the, if he was, let's say, amenable to re-signing long-term, or even, you know, agreeing to waive his like to to not exercise his ETO, like he, you know, kind of like what happened with with Dwight, you know, Dwight's whole thing, but that was in Orlando, you know, like or actually Chris Paul when he went to the Clippers, that's a great even better example, you know, if he were willing to do that sort of a thing, he fundamentally changes their expectations. I, I think that, like, if they could get him without giving up a ton, that is what gets them in the conversation over Cleveland.
1: Yeah, the question is, would you rather would you rather commit a four-year deal to Chris Paul or Isaiah Thomas, considering their ages? You probably would Chris Paul without a second hesitation. If
2: Isaiah wants a Brinks truck, then I'd rather give that Brinks truck to Chris Paul than Isaiah.
3: Exactly. Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas is a, is a really good third guard. I mean, he was a fake All Star this last year. I mean, it, 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 he's a really he's a nice player who has landed in the ultimate perfect situation for him on a team where they don't really have anybody else who can score, and so he's allowed to do whatever he wants with the ball and shoot as much as he wants. If you are if you're on a, if you have a really good team, he's not a lead guard like he's just not. So I mean, he, he's really no different than a guy like Kemba Walker. You know, they're they're good players, but. He's, not, he's just not a championship-level point guard. And so if you, they can't, in my opinion, you can't pay that guy while like he's a championship-level point guard to have him be a good one and one that ideally is your sixth man.
2: I'd probably rather have Kemba Walker. Yeah, I would too. And also, if you're a team with expectations, paying Isaiah is a lot less palatable, and I think that's what Tim was getting at is that Boston wants to be really good. And if you want to be really good, having that kind of thing hamstringing you is a big problem. And b- part of what has allowed Boston to have all these options, whether they use them or not, is that they don't have any bad contracts on their books. And so, and any, you know, anything they've had isn't damaging and you can fundamentally change that in one signing. And that's, that's something I, I think that new Orleans is a reasonable example of that with Oshik which is, you know, not catastrophically bad, but still bad, but Isaiah could be worse because he can get paid a lot more money. And, That's a real concern for them because this all changes once you lose that flexibility. And also, Isaiah, I believe he's 27 now, will turn 28 during the season. We don't know when his cliff is going to come, but once he loses a half a step or a step, considering he's already bad defensively, that totally changes him, and like, I think then you're starting to get to the point where I, I disagree with him. I think he's better than a third guard right now, but the second he loses that physical ability, he becomes a third guard well, or a fourth it, guard.
3: To be clear, I, I meant if you're talking like a championship-level team. team. That's right. Yeah, like if he, if he, if you have a great team, you know, if you're one of the four or five best teams in
1: the league, he he shouldn't start for you. Um, I think you know, I he'd I, probably I, start, but he's, he's not your primary scorer. He's definitely he, your he, third-best scorer. He,
3: then he's not then that's the problem is that's all he really does so if he's playing that way for you he can't start like that that's why boston is a perfect situation for him because yeah he can be that guy for them because they now al horford can score so they have two guys but you know last year i mean you looked at the team they were running out there and they had a lot of guys that just couldn't really score or and nobody else could create their own shot
2: and no one else so could create for he,
1: other people either
3: Right. So he could just dribble around and do whatever the hell he wanted, it didn't matter. You know, if they yeah, if they had that's that's the thing about Boston. Like I always wonder about Isaiah, like if he's on a team with more talent, I don't know if the fit is as good because then he is gonna to Because like he's one of those guys where if he's standing off the ball, like he's a decent shooter, but he, he's not really doing much for it if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So that's why I say to me, I, if if he if you have a great team, he's coming off the bench as your third guard, and you can play him in some two point guard lineups and, and close with him if you want. But you, you you probably I think need to have a guy better than him if you're really going to be a serious contender. This is an analo- yeah. analogy
2: I don't think either of you guys will see coming, but this is the exact same reason why I'm really skeptical of Blake Griffin. Because I think Blake Griffin his greatest value is having the ball in his hands now that he's not the dunking on Mozgov force that he was back then. Yeah, no, you're crazy. right. You're 100% right. Is that he's much better in that way and that's what makes him an unusual player. Same thing as Giannis in that way, but he's not good enough at it to build your team around that. And so he's either best served doing that as a second unit guy and then you know having a role closing games and being a starter like doing that kind of a a nuance which is really complicated like most guys don't do that it's actually close to what boogie cousins could do too is like dominating second units but still playing with starters and as he ages that like all that becomes less valuable and less tenable and Giving a guy like that a max contract, whether it be Isaiah or Blake Griffin, as they enter their 30s is terrifying.
1: You don't want to be the team that's holding Blake Griffin while he goes through his decline, because he's he's. I mean, his whole game has been built on his physicality and his athleticism. And when he gets sapped, it's going to get sapped really quickly. And then he's going to be left with his decent outside jump shot and his, frankly, I think, overhyped ability to handle the ball. The league is trending towards guys that can either shoot or pass on the perimeter, right? And having a guy like Griffin is become, is becoming less and less tenable. Obviously, they have Chris Paul next to him, so they make it work pretty decently. And just going back to Isaiah, he actually tweeted right as we were having this debate, Just he just tweeted, talk to me, people. So let's hope he's not listening to this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just going back to him, he—I think he's the perfect transition guard for a franchise. He s- serves the Celtics so perfectly as this guy that can overachieve and run everything for them at a cheap contract. But he's not the—you're absolutely right—he's not the guy that you're paying because of his limitations as one as an off-ball shooter. Although he is really good at running, at them being able to run sets with them off the ball, he's really great at that but he hasn't really shown to be as much of an off-ball shooter necessarily. But the defensive limitations are just such an issue. Although they make their system work really well – in the playoffs, they just kept isolating switches onto them for bigger guys, and they would just take them to work and it worked and Atlanta did it so well it worked last year against or the year before that against Cleveland. Teams have just always been able to pull it off against them. Who knows if that 's going to really change now that al horford 's there and if they 're able to get another great perimeter player, whether it 's uh, somebody like Butler or Hayward but He's the guy that, I mean, he is the guy that you trade for Chris Paul to try to go all in for, because at least, you know, with Paul, there really isn't a weakness. The only question is just deterioration over time.
2: Yeah, I think Isaiah, and the great thing for, for the Celtics is that Danny Ainge is callous enough to do this, is they should try to trade him before this contract expires. And I think they should do that even if they don't have an answer to point guard, just because if they somebody somebody's going to be dumb enough to interpret what has happened as being worth giving up assets for it. And you don't want to be holding the bag for his next contract. I think that's more true for him than almost anybody in the league, as much as I like him and as much as I like him on this contract. And so getting something for that, unless you're in a really big mix like for, you know, Maybe you're the second best team in the East or something like that. Maybe moving him next summer, moving him to draft is a more palatable way to do it. But they should seriously consider that. And I think that leads a little bit into the last, I think the last question that we'll ask, that we can discuss other stuff if you want, is players in this division that you think have a, a shot at breaking out whatever level that is. So that doesn't have to be, you know, like star to superstar it could be, you know, a, a, a rotation guy who can become much more than he was.
1: I mean, can we call Chris hes- Porzingis a breakout guy? I mean, he—I just expect him to get significantly better and to continue to skyrocket. He was even if he hit the rookie wall last year. I thought he was just absolutely phenomenal and was just such a revelation. So, he's a guy that I see becoming tougher, being an even more capable ball handler to be a better overall perimeter score, and his defensive presence is going to get better. I mean, He's—I just—I don't—I expect Porzingis to just continue to skyrocket. And then um, if you just look around for guys that are in position to be impactful players, Marcus Smart's a pretty obvious target there where not only is he in the third year and he's hitting that develop, you know, the point of his development where he should be taking the strides to being a, a key contributor, but he's also, with Turner leaving, being forced into a more primary ball handler role. And then Norman Powell, I think, is a guy that will play a key role for Toronto, I'm not optimistic on Terrence Ross's future there. I think Norm Powell is going to take a lot of that spotlight from him.
3: I think it will be Rodney Hollis Jefferson. He was one of the best rookies in the league last year. He didn't play a ton of games because he had an ankle injury that knocked him out for about half the season. But even on a bad next team, whenever he was on the court, he was a positive and a plus-minus. And He's a terrific defender, really athletic. He's a fun guy to watch. he got a big personality. And I think if he is healthy – for a whole season, I think that that he's got a chance to to really to really blossom for the Nets, you know, with a with a coach Kenny At- and Kenny Atkinson who's known for development. Um, you know, you'd like to think he he will, you know, take a nice step forward. And uh, another guy in the Nets too that I, I I will be curious to see how Atkinson does with him is Boyan Bogdanovich. You know, every time you watch Boyan play in international ball, he looks like a different player. Uh, yeah, I think. He had, I don't remember how many points he had against Spain the other day and Croatia's went over Spain, but he's looked really good in international play and, and he, he's got gotten, gotten better uh, and gotten more comfortable in the NBA but but still hasn't taken quite the step that I think a lot of people thought when he came over. And I'll be curious to see if uh, you know on a team on a Nets team that doesn't have a lot of scoring period and particularly on the perimeter, you know, I'll be curious with a you know, with a, a legitimate point guard on a team now if if uh, if Boyan doesn't have a, a more effective scoring season this year,
1: yeah, Boyan's turning into like this generation's Linus Klaza. He's like he looks like Michael Jordan <laughs> playing international ball, and then barely can crack the rotation in the NBA. It's so puzzling.
2: Well, I, I will echo all of your picks. I think they're all good, especially Rondé and. Norman Powell, who, with Rondé, I think the other big thing is just having competent point guard play. Atkinson's huge, too, but having competent point guards will fundamentally change it because it'll just put him in better positions to succeed offensively. His defense is going to be awesome. You know, he's going to be a very talented, I think he can defend two to four, which is really cool, and it's unusual for somebody like him, and depending on how they can build the rest of that team, it's something they can really use. And with Powell, I I think that, you know, this is one of my more controversial opinions, but if they had replaced DeMar DeRozan with Norman Powell, the Raptors, I don't think they would have lost very much. I think it, they would have you know, gotten worse scoring, but their defense would have been better, especially since they're keeping Valanciunas. So I think Powell will be underutilized a little bit, though they might play him at the three a little bit and play Damari or whoever at the four. But the two other guys I want to mention that I think are, it's a, it's a common trope, but it's going to be very notable this year, are players that were in kind of a hopeless situation that just got better. And for me, the other two guys in this division like that are New Noel and Robert Covington, who are guys who are very Mm. talented, but just weren't good enough to be the second or third best player on the floor. And if you start sliding them down, if you start getting Sergio, if he does well, obviously Ben Simmons and Saric, those guys, all of a sudden, they get put into the roles they were supposed to be in in the first place. And they're still dirt cheap for a little bit and i think that both of them we could be sitting there going oh this is what they always should have been
1: yeah i can't believe i went an hour and a half without talking about bob covington he's he's i can't believe i forgot he's no i'm I'm not surprised that i forgot about him because he has been in a situation in which every single person has forgotten he exists i don't think his mom even remembers he exists and he is he's been really good he can really do everything he's it's like almost like probably not the right comparison but kind of like hollis jefferson if he could actually shoot the ball pretty well he's going to be good for them this year and he's going to actually be serving a role as a backup three or so backup wing or however they're going to use him in a somewhat organized system for the first time he's and he's coming into free agency and i think he's someone that's going to make himself a lot of money
2: as crazy as it sounds, Covington actually has one more year after this year at the minimum. That's how insane that contract is, yeah. and part of the reason why Sam Hinkie is insanely good at his job. So Covington, he'll make a million this year, he'll make $1.1 million in 17-18, and then he'll be an unrestricted free agent. It's appalling.
1: Yes, I, I'm voting for Sam Hinkie for executive of the year. I don't care what happens here. The amount of talent that they were able to add to this roster this year is already pretty phenomenal.
2: One of the stories that we'll see, and this is actually something that I'm looking to watch this year, that I I think I might just be a year or two ahead of the curve, which is understandable, but the Sixers, their fortunes could change really quickly, because what happens is, it always takes for players to consider a team, it always takes them actually doing something. You know, I think we saw that with the Lakers this year, you know, that the best players didn't even really consider them despite their history, and they have some intriguing young talent. The difference with the Sixers and the Lakers is that the Sixers have future assets that aren't tied to their own fu- to their own success, with the Kings pick being the most notable one among those. So there is a very real possibility that by 2019, they've figured a lot of this out, and then they get a top five pick from Sacramento, and then we're sitting there going, oh my God, this is actually like a serious contending team.
1: Yeah, and the Sixers can sell low on a lot of these guys that they've drafted and still have... Plenty of talent left over. They still have a really well-rounded team. I mean, it, the, the opportunity missed to, by picking Okafor over Porzingis is something that's just ex- incredibly difficult to overcome. Uh, but they still—they have so many solid players there. And I know Noel is hitting free agency, and that's obviously a huge roadblock for them. But they've just got so many guys there that they can trade. They can make a couple trades with those guys to get other talent, even if it's not quite as doesn't have the same potential, and they're still moving forward as one of the brightest teams uh, future-wise in the league.
3: Yeah, they got a lot to sort out, but it's it's a good problem to have to have to figure out what to do with a bunch of talented guys. So yeah, like how, how, there
2: are so many teams we'll that would want a happens. guy like Jeremy Grant. Like Jeremy Grant's a good player; he's on a bargain contract, but there isn't really a place for him now in the Sixers. And the other big question with that is if. Sarich and Simmons can't coexist. I mean, if considering Sarich took his rookie deal, there are, of course, a lot of other optics issues with it. But if they ever, if, let's say, a year or two from now, they need to move Sarich, I think they could get a lot for him.
1: Yeah, I, think I agree. They could get a lot for him today.
2: Yeah, but they, they, for, for a lot of reasons, I don't think they could do that. But.
1: Yeah, it's not going to happen. They, I mean, they, their best move is to just play all these guys, mix and match. They obviously have no incentive to win 50 games this year, so... They, you know, they're in great shape for. They can have an experiment year again this year, where they can get a top pick again next year, and still have everybody excited and happy about it uh, for their fan base and everybody around the team because they're going to have entertaining players that just watching them grow is going to be fascinating. And with guy, with the rookies that they're bringing in this year. Uh, when you include Embiid there, they've got guys that every single time they're out there, you're excited to see if they're going to prove that they're really the remarkable blue-chip talents that they're hoping they're going to be. And really, the young guys that have been playing there so far, like Okafor, Noel, and uh, Carter Williams, that he was still there, none of those guys were guys that you like absolutely had to see what they were doing every single night and were excited to see what they were doing every single night. But especially with Simmons and, and Embiid, every single game could be that game where they showed the flash of, how great of a you know a real historically great player they can be.
2: Uh, Sixers fan, if there's any Sixers fan that is listening to this podcast, if you create a Twitter account that just says when Joel, Joel Embiid checks into games, like somebody did this with Giannis back in the day, and that is all it does, you don't use it to, to harvest anything else, I will put text alerts on my phone. I have never done that for anybody. I will do that for Joel Embiid if somebody creates that account.
1: Yeah, I think I've got notifications on for WOJ. you will have to do it for that account too. That's that's um every every time Joel Embiid wakes up in the morning, it's must watch.
2: Anything else you guys want to discuss?
1: No, I think we covered it. We even got outside the division. Yeah, we did. Yeah, this was almost a Pacific Division preview at this point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, not nearly, not nearly enough Warriors talk.
1: <laughs> I did, we did get a chance to talk about Crab and Johnson getting matched. Um, I mean, I guess there's not much really to talk about that anymore. But that was that must have been so painful for Sean Marks to go through to see two guys that he figured there was no way they're they're going to get matched. The teams are already pretty much all set with their rosters are capped out. To see that happen, I mean, that must have it's it's like the misfortune just can't stop happening for yeah. the franchise. I,
3: I think they expected Crab to get matched the whole time. I, yeah. I, no one no one expected Johnson to get matched. That was that was a surprise. He dodged, Weed, he dodged
2: a bullet with Crab, though. I mean, I think that contract is a big mistake. No, I
3: agree, but I don't think they ever really thought he was going to. I don't. I, most people within the league thought that they were going to match it. And that was
2: an NSK were, type, they, It was a troll move.
3: Not that it was a troll move. Just that I think people saw what Portland was doing, and you know they were going. You know they were going to keep that team together, and you know I think people just assumed they were going to. They were going to keep him, but nobody thought that the Heat were going to be paying Tyler Johnson $40 million in 2019 and 2020. I mean, that that was surprising.
1: Imagine being Dwayne Wade being the only person in the world that knew that was going to happen for like like six (laughs) hours or so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's very true. But hey, they got Jeremy Lin. That's all that matters. They, they, it's they true. got they at least got that one guy that they can at least have you know run the team for a couple of years, and that's that's good enough for them at this point.
3: It is. Yeah, yeah, and if they get grievous is healthy for him for a year, it'll be a better value than Johnson for that
1: lumber anyway. That's
2: true. Certainly a reasonable argument. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time. It was great talking with you as always.
1: Likewise, talk yeah, to you guys fun. soon. Yeah, it's fun doing this every year for sure.
2: Thanks again to Tim Bontemps and Jared Weiss for taking the time to come on. You can read Tim at The Washington Post. He is their national NBA writer. And you can, of course, follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. You can also read Jared Weiss at Celtics blog. You can also listen to him on CLNS radio. He does the Garden Report postgame show and the WEEI Celtics podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. Was really a fun episode to do for me. I love doing the division capsules. Was so happy last off season when people said they liked them enough that I should bring them back. I absolutely am. Already have lined up some guests for the remainder of these, and you know still have still have some to work out, but still have a lot of time. And so the kind of the idea of Real Jam Radio for the next couple months is to have these and then intersperse other things. I've been talking with guests to do. Non division stuff it's just going to kind of depend on that. I'm hoping to bring back the over unders with Arturo troro which has been a staple of the real Jam radio podcast, and I absolutely love doing it it's so much fun and yeah this is is a, an interesting time for this with the Olympics probably do an Olympics review as well maybe that'll be the next non division thing. Just watched Serbia lose to France on a, on a strange play as I was editing this so you know that's the way that things these things go so if you have any input. On this, you can reach out to me at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D A N N Y L E R O U X. You can also email Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com. I say this often, but I read everything, I respond to as much as I can. I consider that important. And one thing that I've been getting a lot of stuff on recently, also doing a Reddit AMA and all that kind of thing, is about getting into the business. And so how I've decided to react to that is that I'm going to, at some point in the near future, write a piece about how I got in and just kind of some advice stuff. So I can use that as kind of a go-to because while there are a lot of questions that I can't answer and there are a fair amount that I can having it in one place. So then when people ask, I can refer it. I don't know where that will be. My initial intention was to have it on Vegan Fish Tacos, my old blog. However, if one of my other sites wants to pick it up, then maybe they will. So we will see on that in the near future. Also, be sure to patronize Blue Apron. It is an absolutely fantastic service. I speak highly of it because I have used it for months now and legitimately look forward to it every single week. My deliveries are usually on Thursday, so we're one day away from that. Very excited about it. You can go to blueapron.com slash real GM. You can get three meals for free. That includes free shipping and see if you like it as much as I do. And as always, you know, if you enjoy the podcast or enjoy any other podcast, make sure you download every episode, put a review on iTunes if you listen that way, and a rating because that is something that gives us visibility for this podcast and any other. And tell your friends, tell your people that you are if you're on Reddit or if you're on anything else in the NBA to enjoy it because what as as big as you know dunked on has gotten and Real Jam Radio is doing better. I'm thrilled with that. Thank you very much. There is a lot of word of mouth that needs to take place because podcasting, especially when you don't have a conglomerate promoting it, let's say, it can be hard sometimes and people might enjoy it who just legitimately do not know about it. And that's a part of what I try to do with my Twitter account and Facebook and everything else like that. But anybody, the the web of communication, on, especially in the age of the internet, is very different than that. And there are many of you can reach people who would be potential listeners in a way that I cannot. And... Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think about a few other things about changing, changing the form stuff with the podcast, but I really do enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy it too. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.
0: Progressive brings you Flowetry with Flow. Home and
1: auto-bundle saves you cash. The mash of the two together, smooth like leather. The two bundled together. Life is so sweet, so sweet like an orange. Nothing rhymes with... Orange. I'm sorry.
0: Bundle home and auto and save with Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Progressive brings you flow with Flow. Ring
1: around the rosy, the rosy. In this case, beating your car and home insurance bundled together to save you money. Oh, so cozy. Ashes. Ashes. The mic falls down.
0: Bundle home and auto and save with Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.